Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truth Point Church in West Palm Beach. We exist to point people to the truth of the gospel. So I, uh, I went back to the gym this week for the first time since COVID, and it didn't work, so I think I'm kind of done with that. But actually, as I was preparing for uh, this sermon, besides not being able to walk right because I went to the gym this week for the first time since COVID, and then hurt my back getting into the shower afterwards, um, it's... It's actually interesting to me, and it, it occurred to me that the gym is a, is, a, is a fascinating example of one of the few things in life that, as an individual person, like exercise, actually pretty much just works. I mean, apart from illness or injury, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. I mean, you exercise hard, you change your body, your get, muscles get stronger. If you exercise to be able to run a long way, you'll be able to run further. And it doesn't mean you can measure up to other people. But within each one of us, in terms of our personal makeup, it's a really interesting thing. Like, the more you put in, the more you get out. And it's an illustration of the exact opposite of what we're going to be seeing today in Scripture. See, in, in our lives, we have these things that do work that way. Now we have some that don't work quite that way. The more you put in, the more likely you are to get a good result. And some things, you can work really hard at them, and you may not get a good result at all. But when we're looking in the Word today, what we're going to be seeing as we continue our study on Hebrews, in this week, we're going to be seeing in cases in which our work produces an impossible result. In other words, that it it isn't at all about our work, although we're also going to work hard to see that our work is important. And we're going to try and hold those two things together, that God is ultimately in control and he, we need to rest confidently in him as the person who assures impossible outcomes. And if you remember, if you've been with us as we've been going through Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is telling us, telling us this so that we'll get moving together, doing the good things that God has placed in front of us. So we're going to be hearing both of these things. God's in control so we can act confidently. Confidently. The gym didn't do that. But confidently, we need to act because God has called us to us. And it's what we just heard in Ephesians. Ephesians has this long run of God claiming responsibility for the salvation of his people And then it culminates with, so that we can do the good works that he's laid in front of us. And that is going to be exactly what the author of Hebrews is talking to us about here today. We're going to start off hearing about Sarah and Abraham. Um, And so if you've been with us for a while, if you remember, this section of Hebrews is where the author of Hebrews has been, he told us, we all need to get together, remember your first love, remember what Christ has done for you, don't go back to where you were before. And then he's tried to set us up in this pattern of people who've gone before us. Look at what Abel did. Look at what Enoch did. Look at what Abraham did. And And look at what Noah did. And we've heard those stories. And here today, we're going to be hearing another one. We're going to be hearing about Sarah and Abraham. And so if you've got your Bibles, you want to put your fingers in two places here. Hebrews 11 
And it's got the electronic ones. This is really fast. That's kind of the only Bible that I carry with me now. Um, but you also want to have a finger in Genesis 17. We'll be looking at Genesis 17 and 18. But let's start with our main text. And this is in your, uh, this is in your bulletin, Hebrews 11, 11 through 16. By faith, remember every one of the lines starts that way. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, that's Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. Now, these all, he's now referring back to everybody he's talked to us about. In fact, he's doing a little bit of an interlude here in his list. So referring back to everybody we've talked about here over the last few weeks, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them, greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, remember Abraham had to leave, he had to go someplace else and live in tents, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we open up your word, we will, uh, we will hear your word in it. I pray that you will give me uh, the right words to speak, to bring out the message um, that you've given to us here, to help us to apply it into our own lives and our callings here in the West Palm Beach area. But Lord, I also pray that even where I fail, uh, you will use your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us individually, that the word would work even when the messengers fail. In your name we pray, amen. So this is really interesting. If you remember, if you were here with us about three weeks ago, um, we talked about these stories of faith, and we talked about how the, the, it can feel like, well, those folks have a superhuman kind. They got superhero faith. I don't have superhero faith. And so the author of Hebrews, we can undermine what he's doing. He's trying to tell us, look at what the people who went before you, look at what God did with them. And then we end up walking away from the message because we say, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not like them. I don't have that kind of faith. And actually, what is supposed to be an encouragement, come on, let's go. Look at what God did through those folks. Turns into a discouragement. Oh, man, I can't ever measure up to that. And so if we just read Hebrews here and we forget the story, it might feel that way a little bit. But it's going to be really interesting, I think, when we go back into Genesis to hear this kind of fancy faith, this superhero faith that Abraham and Sarah have when you look at what they actually do. So let's go. We're going to read uh, two different sections. The first one's in Genesis 17, and the second one's in Genesis 18. So I'm going to read 15 to 20 and 17. And then if you're just listening along, that's fine. But if you want to jump, I'll be jumping down to Genesis 18.10. So the first part comes well before, um, after God has promised Abraham, you're going to have you're going to have this huge group of descendants. The whole world's going to be blessed. But before Abraham has had a child, before Isaac has been born. So, in 15 of chapter 17, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. 
Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Now, if you remember Ishmael, Ishmael was the child of Hagar. Hagar was Sarai's servant, and because God hadn't given them a child yet, Abraham and Sarai, the Abram and Sarai at that point in time, basically said, we got to do this for God. He's, he's not coming through, and so in a, in a less scandalous than it is now, but still scandalous decision, Abram went in with Sarai's servant, and they had the child Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then if you skip down to Genesis 18, 10 through 15, we have Abraham's superhero faith in front of us there in 17. Now we're going to put Sarah's superhero faith in front of us in 18. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. Uh, So the Lord is talking with Abraham. Sarah is listening in. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Now, this is a really interesting story at a number of levels, because remember, this is the reference. The author of Hebrews is talking to a Jewish community. They would know this story very well. They would know all the parts of the story. And as we've talked about before, Abraham really, I mean, he's known. He is the father of the nation. He is the kind of high point of faith. But the author of Hebrews, in calling this to mind, in telling people, if you remember at the beginning of that chapter, to think about faith as a foundation, a firm foundation, a place where you can go and stand there and act. When we called ourselves into worship today, Paul, uh, uh, David talked about that. He, God placed me on a firm foundation. The firm foundation here is faith. By faith, they had a child when it was impossible. Well, by faith, what, what kind of confidence can they have in the kind of faith that they displayed here? See, the faith that, that, that the author of Hebrews is talking about is the faith that Paul was talking about when we read about Ephesians, the faith that's given to us. It's the gift we received when God calls us so that we recognize that when God has worked in our life, the faith is sure even when we're not. The by faith, if we go and just look at how they acted, both of them laughed at God and said, you can't do that. Sarah not only laughed at God, then she lied to God about it and had a little argument about whether she'd laughed. This faith is flawed faith with respect to the actions of the individuals. I don't know about you, but I have flawed faith with respect to my own actions. And if, if, if the foundation that I'm supposed to stand on is how well I'm believing 
then it's not a very good foundation. In fact, most of the times that I need a firm foundation most will be times that when I have to go to myself to find confidence, I'm going to be the most broken because it won't be good looking. The way many of us interpret faith and God's blessings would be like if Sarah and Abraham said, God will give us a child as long as we really believe him right. And then they sat waiting for the child and said, did you laugh? Well, yeah. Did you laugh? Yeah, yeah. I actually lied, laughed to his face and I lied about it. And, and then they go, well, I mean, what's the foundation of that faith? If the foundation of our confidence is on our individual ability to have that firm foundation on our own side, then there's no place to go when we don't have it. What the author of Hebrews is trying to tell you is your confidence, your faith is a gift from God. Paul's saying it's a gift from God so that you can rest confidently even in those times when you don't have it. And, and... When you take action, which, by the way, it was the child of Abraham and Sarah, so we can interpret from the test, text that they took action that culminated in Isaac, but God made the impossible happen out of their action by their faith. That's what the author of Hebrew is giving to us there. And then he's telling us he's good. We're going to have this kind of interlude as we move on, this kind of gathering it all together. He's trying to tell us how to live in light of the fact that if God has called us, if he's given us faith, this is what our lives should look like because we can be like them because they weren't superheroes of the faith. They were broken. They sinned. They lied to God. They argued with him. They laughed at his promises. And yet, by their faith, he made an impossible outcome happen. Go now to Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. These all, right, again, these are all the people that we've talked about so far, died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The reason, or the reason these words come into play for us, as we recall, the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage us, is when we recognize That in Christ, we are made his children through repentance and faith. And we become citizens of a heavenly country. And that work is done. If you're you're here and you're hearing about Christianity or you know it a little bit or you've been around before and you think of it as the rules to get you to heaven... Actually, what the author of Hebrews is counting on is us teaching well that, no, this is about how to live if you're going to heaven. And that the getting to heaven is not by this process, it's not by these laws, it's not by these rules, it's not by this way of life. In fact, the author of Hebrews is trying to pull people out that want to go back to a way of life. But what it is, first of all, is confidence, that it's impossible The impossible outcome for you is that you could do anything that would be sufficient to earn you heaven. But that Christ did the impossible. 
He came to earth, he lived, he walked, he fulfilled every obligation a human can have. And he did it as the God of the universe. And then he died, and in dying, he took on all the consequences of all the sin for all those who are in him. And he paid that debt. And in being resurrected, he established a new kingdom, and he calls you in by faith by saying to him nothing more than, I cannot do it. Please save me. And those words, that repentance is a reflection of the gift that God gives, that uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians. That very repentance is a reflection of God working. And so that when you have that, you can look back to it and you can remember, no, God set me on a firm foundation. I'm now a citizen of that kingdom. My future is sure. God is working an impossible outcome out of who I am and what I've done. And that we live there so that we get to start. But just like, so we had Sarah, here we had an on earth impossible outcome, and we moved to, because they had their eyes set on heaven, we then set our eyes on heaven, but we are still here in this world. Ronnie Perry, two weeks ago, talked about the first reality is that we're united. And what we need to do is start to look like it. See, this is the first reality is we're citizens of heaven. And what the author of Hebrews is saying to you is not go and make sure that you've got really superhero faith so you can be in. He's saying, look at these people that didn't have superhero faith. And God did these amazing things through them. Be confident. And so now in confidence, gather yourselves together and say, we are citizens of that far distant land. But we're still here. What's the job that God, what are the good works that God has made for us to do here? Let's do them. Now, if you're, if you're listening in, and, and I, I think we need to say just a little bit about something, because there's probably some people that have been troubled, because we've got two really strong things happening, and in the church there's some division theologically over, well, are we going to really emphasize how big and how sovereign and how in control God is? Or are we going to really emphasize how important it is for the church to act and to do things and to behave? And in the church, you've probably seen it cast as an either or. I've got to pick that one or I've got to pick this one. And so the more we emphasize how much God has done it all, it seems like the less it matters what we do. And when we realize Scripture everywhere is saying it matters what you do, make it, the choices you make matter, the, the work of the church matters. So if we're going to emphasize that, then we've got to shrink down a little bit of what God's done. I, I actually really like that topic, and the dolphins don't kick off till four. And so I was thinking we could really go a long way into it. We can't do that, but I do want to poke all of you, no matter which side of that, big God or big human activity you're on, if you're in the either-or place. See, one of the really interesting things, if you've paid attention, one of the main places that fight happens in the church is over predestination and free will. But it's part of a bigger argument. This is how I want to poke you. If you listen, you'll find the people on both sides of the arguments have really good scriptures. They have a lot of really powerful scripture that they bring to bear. And the reason is because the Bible doesn't take that either or seriously. It's not there. The really strange thing that I find in this argument that happens in the church, God is in control of everything. 
our decisions and our choices really make a difference and really matter is when people are fighting. The only thing they seem to agree about is something that's not in Scripture. You have to pick one of those or the other. That's not there. You won't find that in Scripture. There's no place in Scripture that says there's any kind of competition between what God has done and what we've done. In fact, over and over and over again, even in Christ going to the cross, God claims responsibility for the actions of people who did good things and who did bad things. And even when they did bad things, that those bad things are for his glory. Now, is that a mystery? Absolutely that's a mystery. Could we say more about it? Is, it? is it as mysterious as it seems at first? It's not. And if we went till four, we could do a little better. But the first thing, the first thing, and all that matters for this sermon is if you're convinced it's either or, that will prevent you from hearing the full word that God is giving to you. And what I would ask you to do is if you're convinced of the either or and it's causing you conflict, whether internally or conflict with Scripture or conflict with others, by the way, whether you're on the more traditionally predestination side or the more, predest- the more traditionally free will side, I want you to poke at why it is that the one thing you're confident in in that discussion is the thing that's not in Scripture. And then you'll at least be able to hear the word that's being presented, even if it remains a mystery, and it will remain a mystery. We're still fighting about it. We've been fighting about it for 2,000 years, really for longer than 2,000 years, because you can find arguments with philosophers that go all the way back to Aristotle, and he probably wasn't the first one. He just wrote it down and got famous. It's old. But here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be confident. And then he wants you to act out of your confidence. And the only way you can do both, the only way you can do both, is if you trust him that faith is his gift. Because otherwise, if you're Abraham and you look at your faith and you laughed in God's face, in his presence, you remember he ducked down on the ground and laughed with his face buried in the ground, inside. Or if you're Sarah and you laughed behind the curtain. If your confidence can only come out of your evaluation of your own self, your confidence will fail, and it will fail most when you need it most. Your confidence will fail, and it will fail most when you need it most. And if the impossible outcome had been up to the quality of Abraham and Sarah's faith, they wouldn't have had Isaac. They laughed, lied, and argued. When God was right there with them, promising. But then, but then, the other side of this is the author of Hebrews is trying to give you that confidence so that you'll be activated, so that we'll be people who stand out in the world as citizens of a far different country, as people who reflect the work of Christ, But see, if we so emphasize the confidence in God's got it all, that can and actually has in many places in the church led to a kind of complacency. What does it matter what I do? God's got it all. I mean, I'm just me. What can I get done? But notice what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, look, look at the great, look your life right now. Look at how it was impacted by the people who went before you. Paul was a murderer. 
He was helping people kill people in the church. He was pursuing them along. We don't get much direct testimony. We know at least that he assisted the murder of Christians. And Paul was traveling down the road to go kill more Christians. And I think, look, part of the reason that Paul talks the most about God's direct activity and salvation is because of his experience. Paul was walking down the road to go kill Christians, and God came to him and said, Stop. You're mine. Come follow me. And Paul did what anybody who got directed by God on the road to do. He followed. He followed first. He learned later. But we look back at Paul, a murderer, actively trying to kill the church, and we forget at times who he was because his life has so positively impacted us. Paul was broken and hopeless, and God grabbed him and used him. And the author of Hebrews, we're writing a modern context, we do the same thing. Look, by faith, Paul was changed. Not Paul was changed and then got faith. By faith, Paul was changed, and your life was changed because of him. When we do the either or, we have to pick our half. The confidence of God being in charge, that we can stand and say, I will live for you because you've already lived for me. But when we do the either or, then our life gets emptied of purpose. But we can, we can have the, we can have the, our lives matter. Come on, guys, look at how, look at how, look at how missionaries have done. Look what they've done. Look at how the gospel has gone, gone around the world. Look at the preaching of the word. Come on, come on, come on. But then if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work the way we want it to, if it doesn't work the way we planned, it was our failure. We don't, we give up the ability to say, God, I thought you wanted to do this, but obviously you didn't. We give up the ability to say, God, I trust you that you will work all things out together for good. Not only when we rest on our own, conf- our own actions do we have trouble in those hard times trying to say, how good is my laughing faith? But our failures are God's failures. If he's, if he's backed out, if he's not there, then we can't go with the confidence that God will make, he will work out even our failures for good for those who are in him. By faith, you and I get an impossible outcome. By faith, the impossible outcome for all those who are in him is heaven. And if you've made that profession of faith, then heaven is assured to you. Let's keep going. Heaven is assured. If you've never made that profession of faith, make that profession of faith. Go in repentance. Say, Lord, you take it because I can't do it. And then be confident that he is faithful to save and that even that action is the result of him already working in your life. But then from there, with that confidence, then we move forward as citizens of that far distant land to live in this world that's right around us. And I'll give you one last application to it that fits right here in the life that we live right now. I'm going to try and do it very carefully. About three weeks away from an election right now. If you're in Christ, your first citizenship is in heaven. But if you're in Christ and you're in this room, you are a citizen of heaven who's been placed here. 
been placed here. And so we do two things. One of them is we take, we live, we take action. We should live as Christians in the society in which we've been called. But we also don't place our hope in those actions or the way they go. And I hear so many people in the church really without regard for who they're planning on voting for when they reveal it who are so setting their hope in this election that they're no longer able to live as Christians. If the person you want doesn't get elected, the kingdom will continue. Four years ago, there were people, four years ago, there were people that were upset that we might lose our tax exemption if the wrong people got voted in. Now, that was happening while Knox, where I was teaching, had just had a Chinese student speak about the ways that she was having to hide the fact that she was even taking classes. And I thought, you're going to lose your mind over the possibility that you won't get a tax break for giving to the church. And she's a citizen of the same land in heaven. And the place that she's been called, she can't even admit to being a Christian. Our hope is not here in this government. Take action. Look, the better it is, the better. God's law is good, so we should take action. But we can't place our hope in the actions of this world. It may not go the way you want it to, and God will work good out of it. And the good out of it doesn't mean the United States will stay a powerful country for forever. No country's ever survived affluence. It'll probably break down and fall unless the Lord comes first, like all of them have. And that's okay. It's not good. Like, I don't want to be there. That part will be bad. When countries fall apart, it's no good. We ought to be taking action to try to make the world better. But we can't place our hope in the world. Your first citizenship is in heaven. But from heaven, you have been sent as sojourners. Love that word. As travelers. And this is the place you've been sent. And so now, in confidence, knowing that God has called you and established your citizenship, live here the race that has been set in front of you, the actions that, has been set, that have been set in front of you, this church, the good things that have been set in front of us to do, let's do them in confidence because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have that you've sent your son to establish for us a sure confidence that doesn't depend upon us. Lord, I pray that each one of us would have the, the willingness to examine ourselves, to seek out the areas that we have laughed, that we have lied, that we have argued. A confidence to do that so that we can grow, that we can only have if we're willing to admit that you've done the work and it's okay And rooting that out helps us to do those good works you've laid in front of us, acting together in confidence that you have called us, you've made us citizens of your heavenly kingdom. That is our hope. That is our future. And so we're free to live for you here because you have lived for us already. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truthpoint Church. We encourage you to distribute this to as many people as you'd like but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about our ministry or to subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website at www.truthpoint.org.